Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. So welcome everyone here in the room. Welcome everyone at home, tuning in on Zoom. It's our regular Monday night class of Against the Stream. I'm Noah, nice to see everybody. Um, been teaching this Monday night class here on the west side, Santa Monica and Venice for uh, 15, almost 16 years now, I think. So um, thanks for joining us. Welcome to everybody. I've been in a series on Mondays um, of going through my book, Heart of the Revolution. And uh, we're on the second to last chapter where this is a book that is my commentary on the Buddha's teachings on how to develop loving kindness and compassion and forgiveness and appreciation and generosity and and a little bit of Buddhist cosmology. Last week we were talking about uh, the different realms of existence and the different mind states that we experience of um, when it feels like we're suffering so much that we're in hell or or when we're um, craving so much that it's a ghost-like existence like many of us have have experienced as addicts. And tonight we're going to reflect on, I'm going to teach, and we're going to reflect on some of the um, personality uh, and and just what it it means to have a a personality and um, how personal we take our personalities and and some of the Buddha's teachings that that we're all born with a a personality Um, and that how we relate to it can uh, be very much part of our practice, part of our spiritual awakening, healing, uh, to to understand that a lot of the uh, reactive habits and tendencies that we have uh, aren't your fault. And um, we don't have to suffer about them so much. So all of Buddhism, of course, has the same core goal. The Buddha has been quoted so many times saying, I only teach one thing. (laughs) The only thing that I teach is how to end suffering. The truth that human beings, that we experience suffering. And the whole goal of Buddhist meditation is to see clearly what's causing our suffering and then end it, and then get free from the causes of suffering. Now, of course, in order for that to be true or possible, um, there has to be a difference between pain and suffering. And there is a difference between pain, difficulties, unpleasantness, uh, and suffering about the pain in our life. Pain is unavoidable. (laughs) Bad news, sorry. If you came here to experience bliss all of the time, your free class totally refunded. It's not, <laughs> it's not possible to uh, experience pleasure and bliss all of the time. Um, but what we can do is 
learn to have compassion for the pain that we can't avoid and learn to have non-attachment towards the pleasure that we uh, can't keep, no matter how hard we try. Many of us have tried a little too hard to keep pleasure going to the point where we got ourselves strung out, locked up, <laughs> sent to rehab, chasing the pleasure, running from the pain. And Buddhism offers us a very practical way to learn to be with what is, learn to respond wisely to the unavoidable pleasures and the unavoidable pains. And, um, and a lot of what we're going to get into tonight is how to take it not so personally, how to not be so identified with our mind and our personalities and to um, hopefully have a little bit of a sense of humor about how ridiculous your mind is. And first it's just that sort of admitting like, my mind is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and, you know, so it also has all of this wisdom and intelligence and creativity, but also is just such an asshole and so critical <laughs> and afraid and, you know, like, a friend that used to say, you know, we're just like human beings. We're just like nervous animals, like anxious. And, you know, do I fit in? And do people accept me? And that nervousness, that's just part of, uh, you know, they have a, a name for it. Um, the nervous system, right? <laughs> like we, we all have that, right? It's just, we're born into this nervous system and this self-centered I, me, mine mentality. I know like in, in my own early recovery in 12-step rooms where they were like, well, it's because you're an alcoholic. Alcoholics are self-centered. And I was like, well, okay. Um, I guess that's true. About, that is true about me. And then the more I studied Buddhism and the Buddha's like, it's not because you're an alcoholic. Everyone's self-centered. Every single person. <laughs> is self-centered and identified with their personality and it's why we human beings suffer and some of us try so hard to avoid suffering that we get strung out and um and then we realize oh it's fucking impossible to avoid pain so we're going to talk about our personalities tonight um, so again, welcome. If you're here for the first time, welcome to Against the Stream. If you're tuning in online for the first time, welcome to Against the Stream. Everyone else, welcome back to Against the Stream. And we'll start with a um, about 30-minute meditation. Um, I'll give some meditation instructions. We'll do basic mindfulness practice. So find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed. Make sure you're electronics, your phone is turned off. Uh, find a posture that feels like it's sustainable. Put your feet, if you're in a chair, good to have your feet flat on the ground um, for most of us. Uh, if you're in a cushion to sit upright so that your body is erect without being rigid. So a relaxed upright posture. And then as you're ready, allowing your eyes to be closed, gently Eyelids falling. And settle into the posture. Release 
any tension that you can release, soften the brow, the eyes, the cheeks. As your body breathes in, feel the sensation that the breath creates at the nostrils. As you breathe out, feel the sensations that the breath creates, rising and falling of the chest and belly. Release the shoulders, the chest. With each exhale, soften. Maybe even just saying in your mind, soften. Soften the belly, soften the shoulders. Soften the armoring around your heart. Mindfulness is present time, non-judgmental awareness. We bring our attention to the here and now. The quality of acceptance, receptivity, but without judgment. There's no way to breathe, or to feel, just acknowledging what's happening as the breath comes and goes taking a moment as we settle into mindfulness to establish an attitude of friendliness, an inner intention to be kind, to be patient with your own mind and body, to be tolerant of your own experience moment to moment. Focusing our attention on the body breathing, letting everything else be in the background, sounds, thoughts, other sensations. We spend the first few minutes concentrating on the breath. And in this way, we try to ignore the mind. We're not trying to stop it or still it or, or even quiet it, but just let it be in the background. In the foreground, we focus our attention on the sensations of the breath, the Buddha's simple instruction. He said, breathing in, one knows, I breathe in. Breathing out, one knows, I exhale, I breathe out. 
when new to the practice, it can be helpful to count the breath, breathing out one, breathing in two. Perhaps counting up to 10 and then back down to one. This will help you stay focused when you lose count. Start over with the attitude of friendliness, kindness, patience. Come back over and over to the breath. Breaking our addiction to the mind by establishing awareness in the body. Something draws the attention away from the breath as it does sounds, thoughts, just name it. Thinking, come back to the breath. Disengage from that plan, memory. Bring your attention back to the breath over and over for now.
You're pretty new to this kind of practice. Just keep redirecting your attention to the breath. Keep disengaging from the thoughts of future and past. Counting the breath or noting in and out with each breath. or explore the rest of the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness where he encourages us to expand the attention from the narrow focus on the breath to a more fully embodied awareness from head to toe, feeling all of the sensations present here in the body in this moment. Present time awareness of sitting, what's it feel like? 
perhaps bringing attention to the places of contact with the floor, the chair, the cushion. The sensations created by the hands resting on the legs. Openings of the sense doors sound no longer something to ignore, but now something to pay attention to, to be mindful, non-judgmental, present time awareness of sounds arising and passing. including the mind, thoughts arising and passing. Observing the mind. Trying to become unentangled with the contents, not so involved in the story, the plan, the memory, the hope or fear, which is to know this is a thought arising and passing through consciousness. Like a bubble floating off.
more we investigate and pay attention to our own experience this way, we come to know that all of our experiences are perceived as either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. What the Buddha called the, the feeling tone of experience. Every thought perceived as that's a pleasant thought or an unpleasant thought. Every sensation in the body, every sound. Investigate what you're feeling in your body, what feels pleasant. What is feeling perceived as unpleasant, painful. And rather than moving away from it, just breathe into it, soften around it.
including the sirens. Investigate, what does that feel like, that sound? Pleasant, unpleasant. Does fear arise, compassion? As we observe our minds, perhaps you begin to see the proliferation of thoughts, how a sound like that arises, a siren, which leads to a memory. And the story that goes along with the times that we've heard sirens in our lives. All by itself, the mind thinks, remembers, plans. We suffer because we cling, we get attached, we crave. Mindfulness teaches us to let go. Over and over, letting go of the story, the past and the future, returning to the present, these thoughts and feelings, sensations that are here, We suffer because we resist. We have aversion, anger, fear, hatred of pain. The mindfulness teaches us to accept, to tolerate, to turn towards our own pain with mercy, with compassion.
We suffer because we take everything so personally. We believe our own thoughts. This confused mind, often untrustworthy. We learn to disengage, disidentify. See how impersonal so much of what arising in the mind and heart actually are. Not your fault, not your identity. In the last couple of minutes with the simple loving kindness phrase, we say to ourselves, internally in your own heart, mind, may I be at ease. May I be at ease with my mind just the way it is, my heart, my body. May I be at ease with this world just the way it is in this moment. Say that to yourself a couple times. May I be at ease. and then begin extending it to each other. Just as I wish to be at ease, I also wish for your ease. May you learn to be at ease with the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows of your existence. And we extend outward in all directions so our friends and family, loved ones, our relatives, our ancestors, our benefactors, with loving kindness, unconditional friendliness and goodwill. expanding and widening circles until we include even our enemies, suffering, confused. The ignorant and unskillful, meeting their suffering with compassion, meeting them with loving kindness. 
with the intention to be friendly towards all living beings. May all beings find the willingness to do what needs to be done in their own heart and mind to end suffering. We can't do this for anyone else. No one can do it for us. But may we all find the willingness to train the mind to experience the freedom that's possible the ease that's available. Allowing your eyes to be open when you're ready. It's useful when we finish a formal meditation practice like that to take a moment to reflect and kind of remember what just happened as you tried to observe and respond wisely to your mind as you tried to ignore your mind, as you tried not to think and your mind told you to go fuck yourself and it had lots of <laughs> shit to think about and plans to make and fantasies to indulge in and or maybe you had uh, some success at ignoring your mind maybe it even got quiet maybe you had experienced some tranquility some Whatever you, you know, just re remembering, oh, okay, that, that just happened. Sometimes I say present moment, um, but often I try to say present time experience because things are moving so quickly. Do you notice? Like, it's, uh, by the time you say now, it's 
the past. Like I just said that. <laughs> it's already gone. By the time, like moment is gone. And the more you're mindful, the more you see like, oh, thoughts are arising and sensations and it's all coming and going so quickly. By the time I can't actually touch it because it's this stream passing by of experience, thoughts, sensations, emotions, thoughts, sensations, emotions. So you can't really, you can't grasp the present moment. You can't be like, I'm in the present because by the time you say that, it's gone. <laughs> Shit is gone. And so we have this more kind of like open uh, awareness of like, okay, breath is coming and going, sensations are arising and passing. It's all a process. It's all passing through consciousness, through awareness. I want to talk about personality, and you know, some of it's a it's a little bit about our our personality, and it's a little bit about this self centeredness this way that we take everything personally. Do you take pretty much everything personally? And what I mean by that, not, as, not only like the classic sense of uh, personality where you like other people are doing shit and you think it's about you, like <laughs> not just that, like there's that level that we like most of us have of like, it's all where they're talking about me or they're thinking about me or they're, they like me, they don't like me, whatever that, you know, your mind does around taking it personal. I'm not only talking about that. That's part of it. I'm talking about the taking personal what your own mind does. Like even just our language in meditation, like I was thinking, did you think during meditation? Do you think about some shit on purpose? Did you sit here and be like, you know what? Fuck meditation. I'm going <laughs> to think about some shit. I'm going to make some plans. <laughs> like when the siren went by, did you, you know what? I'm going to think about that time the cops are chasing me. <laughs> did you do that on purpose? Or that time the fire engine had to come scrape me up with a car accident or It was a revelation to me. The more that I meditated, the more I saw like, oh, I'm actually not in control. My mind does whatever the fuck it wants. And no matter how many times I tell it to shut up, it tells me to shut up. And that sort of internal, it, uh, it doesn't obey. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could actually just control your mind? Which I think a lot of people think meditation is. Like, oh, I'm going to go meditate and quiet my mind. I'm going to tell it to shut up and it's going to obey me. So many people don't meditate because, like, they, you know, they tried it once. And they're like, oh, I can't do it. I, I can't meditate. Because of this confusion about what meditation is. Meditation is... Uh, turning towards what is, not trying to manipulate it and control it. And I mean, you know, there's lots of, there are lots of types of meditation that are about manipulating and controlling and creating an experience, but not Buddhist mindfulness practice, which is not about 
getting rid of your mind. It's about starting to know your mind and to know how uh, it's not who you are. It's not self. It's not personal. It's not your fault. Try that on as a mantra for the next couple months. I am not my fault. <laughs> my mind, what happens in my mind is not my fault. But we take it so personally. Imagine if we all had some sort of cool contraption that broadcast our thoughts to everyone else. How fucking petrified would you be to leave your house if everyone else could hear what you say to yourself, what you think about them. What if we could all just hear each other? I mean, it's part of, <laughs> it's part of Sangha. It's part of, hopefully, it's part of community of us getting together and being like, let's just be honest. Let's take off the bullshit spiritual masks. And let's be honest about how crazy it is to have a brain that judges and compares and lusts and fears and takes everything personal. And, and, and for some reason, I still don't know why, no matter how much evidence we have that our mind is so often full of shit and wrong, we still believe it. <laughs> we still believe it and we still, most of the time, obey it. We're like, I've got a ton of evidence that my mind is going to give me some bad fucking advice <laughs> about who I am, about who you are, about what you think, about what I should do. Because, the, you know, like I was talking about Buddhism, the core is like, can we learn not to suffer? But how often is the advice, is the, your mind telling you, you should suffer about this? <laughs> I mean, if you really like kept track of like how many of your thoughts are suggesting suffering. <laughs> you should be angry, you should be afraid, you should be jealous, you should be, and it's not even you should, it's like more, it's like you are, you're afraid, you're jealous, you're insecure, you're unworthy. And we just, we believe it because my, well, my mind said it. <laughs> it must be true. That thought arose and I believed it and I suffered. I took it personal. I thought, well, it's in my brain, so must be who I am. <laughs> the good news is, is that there's like, you don't have to, the more you meditate, the more we train our mind, the Buddha, the Buddha was, I don't want to say that out loud. I'm so <laughs> glad I don't have that contraption on. The, the Buddha called people who didn't meditate, who hadn't trained their mind, uh, untrained worldlings. You know, he really, he really was like, look, like without training your mind, you're fucking annoying yeah. to yourself, to everyone else. The untrained mind is just like full of these views and opinions and most of it's ignorance. There's not a lot of wisdom until you train your mind. You can, you know, you have your religious views and your political views and your opinions and all. And so much of it is ignorance. 
and then you start to train your mind. And then the more you train your mind, the more you say, okay, let me uh, sort what's going on in here. Let me inventory like, okay, there's this greed and this hatred and this delusion and lust and fear and all of this stuff that causes suffering. But actually over here, you start to see, oh, there's also kindness in my mind. There's also generosity. There's also compassion. There's also forgiveness. And the more you strengthen the uh, wholesome mind states, the more wisdom the mind has, the more compassion it has, the more uh, this, this practice that we ended with, loving kindness, may all beings be at ease. I remember when I first started doing this and I was like, no fucking way, this is impossible to genuinely care about all beings, even our enemies. This is impossible. But then after doing it for a few years, I started to be like, oh, I'm feeling it a little bit. Few years more, few years more. And then after some decades of doing it, of like, oh, actually, my mind now thinks about other people with kindness. I trained my mind to do that. The untrained mind doesn't think about others with kindness, especially our enemies, especially people that have hurt us, that have betrayed us. We don't have, you know, there's not a natural tendency of compassion towards people who've hurt us. There's a natural tendency towards hatred. Anger, fear. So sort of a setup, I'm kind of going off in some other directions. I wanna talk about your personality. Like, what do you think about your, your personality? You take it pretty personal, right? Like I am like this. Do you know? Do you even know what your personality is? I feel like some people like we're just so stuck in self that we don't even realize that we kind of have a tendency, a personality tendency. The Buddha classified human personalities in just this really simple way into three categories. He said all of us have a, uh, a primary personality tendency that's either based in greed or hatred, or delusion, <laughs> right? And so these are the three, this is core, you know, Buddhism 101, the three causes of human suffering, greed for pleasure, clinging, craving, uh, attachment, lusting, right? All of that greed category. And then hatred, aversion, intolerance, uh, fear, anger, hatred. And then uh, delusion, which is that, what I was going off on a bit, the delusion of, um, of self, self-centered delusion, I, me, mine. The delusion that, that it's all about us and that our mind is who we are, the body is who we are. I was just reflecting on like, you know, I'm also trained in Western psychology. So I do tend to feel like a lot of this is conditioned by our primary caregivers and our family of origin. Our, our personality does seem to develop based in the conditions that we experience. But it's so curious to see uh, how, right? Because like, 
a lot of us have had some very adverse early life experiences. And, you know, just being a baby, it's fucking tough. <laughs> it's tough to be that sort of like dependent, I need wise, present caregivers. And very few of us were born into families where we had really wise, present, caring, loving caregivers. And to one level, you know, some of us were super abused. Some of us were abandoned a bit. Some of us had parents that we thought like, well, they were there, but they didn't seem to be paying much attention. Um, they were, had their heads up their own asses, you know, while they were paying the bills and feeding us or whatever they were doing. But I have this question about, you know, that baby that's developing their personality. And my sense is that there's like a, a, you know, the same kind of neglect or abandonment or subpar parenting could happen, you know, to two people, but our reactions to that and the personality that we develop around that could be very different. So like the greed-based personality, um, could be like, oh, well, I didn't get enough attention. And so I developed this personality of looking outside of myself for attention and great craving and craving attention and craving stuff and, you know, greed externally because I didn't get it. But then the, another child could have the same kind of neglect and not getting it and being like, well, I didn't get it. So I just got negative. And I just looked outside of myself at like, why, what, everything's wrong with the world. And I just, Fuck the world, I hate the world, and people are untrustworthy, right? Because I didn't get my needs met, and I developed this personality of aversion. And then some, that another baby, same parents, <laughs> same early childhood experience, doesn't go external to greed or to hatred, goes internal becomes very internal, very self-centered, very like, I'm just gonna go inward rather than out there, like there's an external solution or an external you know, uh, problem. I'm just gonna go inside into this kind of my own world of self-centered delusion. That's gonna be an internal escape rather than greed is the personality or hatred is the personality. It's just this deluded, I, me, mine. Now, the reality is, Every single one of us and all living beings have some greed, craving. Nobody with a nervous system does not crave. You're born, it's your survival instinct. You crave for pleasure. Everyone craves for pleasure. Everyone hates pain. It's your survival instinct. It's not your fault. It's not personal. It's millions of years of evolution, evolutionary biology, craving for pleasure, aversion to pain. We've this human brain, neocortex, big human brain that has consciousness and that can do all of this cool thinking also has built into it self-centered delusion. So first of all, your personality, the human personality greed, hatred, and delusion, it's not personal. 
It's not your fault that whatever circumstances led to greed being your leading personality type or hatred being your leading personality type or delusion, you didn't choose that shit. Not your fault. And again, we all have all of it. Okay, here's a test. A bunch of you are in the room for the first time. A bunch of you at home have probably never been in the room. But here's one of the classic ways to identify. You have to self-diagnose your personality type. You walk into a room for the first time. Say the meditation center. Or you come onto Zoom. And do you first look around? If you, if, if you first look around and you're like, ooh, I like the art. I like the carpets, I like the lamps, I like the, right, do you first see like, ooh, is that Mike Giant? I want that, I'm gonna steal that shit later. I want, uh, <laughs> Shepherd Fairy, I want that. I'm, you know, I wonder how much, how much did that cost? I'm gonna get a Shepherd Fairy mandala. Or that, you know, you said, oh, that was that teak bench? That's fucking cool. <laughs> like if you had any of those thoughts, greed type. If those were your first thoughts, you first see, ooh, I want that. I like it, I want it. Now, maybe your second thought is like, well, I like the um, meditation bench, but why is there leather? I'm a vegan. Why is there leather on those meditation cushions? This is bullshit. (laughs) Second thought, hatred, right? Second thought, aversion. Now, if you come in, okay, so you can diagnose yourself. And then you can look at your life and be like, oh yeah, I kind of, always want shit. I walk it wherever I'm going. I'm like, I want that. I want that. I want that as a first sort of like craving greed. Now, if that's your personality, there's a lot of suffering with craving, a lot of attachment, a lot of suffering, but the positive side of it is often there's also a lot of faith. There's all of this desire, all of this, I want it, but then there's sometimes a confidence of like, I want it, so I'm gonna get it. I might have to steal it, but I'm gonna get it. (laughs) I'm gonna get that shit. Now, if you walk into the room, you know, if you're on Zoom, like you don't, you get to see the bench and half of a couple of the paintings. But, you know, even that experience of like, oh, I like that, or I don't like that, or I like the bench, but I don't like the skulls, Um, not spiritual, it's weird, scary. Um, If you walk into a space, a new space, and first you see what you don't like. Like you see, like you see the cushions and you're like fucking leather on meditation cushions. What is this? This is not spiritual. You murdered a cow. <laughs> Talking about compassion. This place is full of shit. And you have all of that judgment and all of this. Or you look at the carpet and you're like, it's dirty. When was the last time you shampooed these carpets? This is gross. Nobody's wearing masks. What is this? You know, like just like that kind of judgment. Now you might come around first negative, first like, I don't know, who are these people? That guy has tattoos on his head, he's fucking weird. (laughs) Like, you know, judgment first. 
But then maybe you come around to like, well, but these chairs are pretty comfortable. So you still have, you still have greed. Right? I do like the art or I do like the, what, the bench or whatever it is. You, you come around to stuff that you like, but it's not the leading thing. The leading thing is negative, aversive. You first see what you don't like. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel comfortable. Why isn't the air conditioning on? This is bullshit. Now, the positive side, like if you relate to that and you're like, yeah, I kind of roll through the world pointing out what's wrong. Kind of aversive, judgmental, critical, quick to say no. You want to do something? Nope. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Let me think about it. But sort of you say no a lot more than you say yes. Now, the positive side, there's a, a the flip side of that aversive, what's called hatred personality type, is that there's often a lot of discernment. You know, you look at the leather and you, ha you have the judgment, but the discernment is like, yeah, killing cows isn't cool. You're right, actually. The carpets are dirty. You're, you're correct. Like you were discerning about that. They've not been shampooed lately. Or, um, you know, so some of those fears, some of those, there's a discerning uh, wisdom that comes along with some of that aversive personality type. Now the deluded type, maybe didn't even notice the bench, the art, the cushions, leather. I didn't even know there were cushions because you were thinking about yourself the whole fucking time you've been here or at home. Like, you know, just to that self, like I was just in my own world. There's art, <laughs> there's carpet, there's tattoos, there's a person, there's other people in this space. Um, you know, I'm of course exaggerating, but the deluded type that's a little like either spaced out or just like in your own world because you're not, which has its own, you know, the positive side of the deluded personality type is that you're a bit quicker to um, equanimity. There's a bit more ease. You're not so drawn to the craving and the lust. You're not so aversive and angry and, and hateful all of the time. You're just sort of in your own la la, I me, mine, land. <laughs> You're thinking about yourself. You're not worried about the art. <laughs> You're not worried about the cushions. Many of you have heard this talk more than once probably. Um, but for those of you reflecting on this for the first time, do you have a sense of what your leading personality type is? How you roll through the world with like, I want, I hate. Now you're spiritual, so you don't say hate, you just say like, that's annoying. <laughs> I don't like that. This shit's not right. <laughs> And the deluded people always are the worst. They're always like, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't know, you're deluded. <laughs> and if you think you're all three, 
you're correct, but you're deluded. If you're a, a true greed type, you know it. Like when you hear this, you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm always like wanting, wanting, wanting. And if you're a true aversive type, you know it. You're like, yep, I fucking am always right. And everyone else is always wrong. And people have terrible taste. And this world is pretty unsafe. And you're not wrong. But you suffer a lot about the judgment, about the anger, about the aversion towards the reality of the world we live in. I find this, I found, I find looking through this lens so useful um, in my relationship to my own cravings and aversions and self-centeredness. It helps me not take my personality so seriously. I was camping this weekend with a couple of friends and um, they both have cool RVs and I don't and this crazy windstorm came through and I was in a shitty tent and it was getting blown all over and, and one dude has this brand new Airstream and I was like, those things are so fucking nice. Another guy has this bitchin' like refurbished Volkswagen with the pop top and, and I'm a greed type. Uh, and instantly my mind, like I pulled out my phone and started looking at RVs on fucking <laughs> RV trader. It's like, I don't have any money, but I need one of those. $150,000. And then of course I'm looking at the sprinters, 200 grand. Are you fucking kidding me? But that's where my mind goes. I'm like, I want it. I, I'm not gonna get it. I can't afford it. I found the coolest one and sent a you know picture to my girlfriend. <laughs> Let's get one of these one day. <laughs> But knowing that, I'm like, yeah, of course I want it. I want a whole bunch of shit. I always want stuff. And seeing how my craving, you know, like also part of, you know, my addiction, my impulsive, you know, obsessive. I like tattoos. I'm going to cover my whole body in them. Right? I've got four motorcycles right now. Like, I don't need four motorcycles, but I have four motorcycles. I like stuff and I was like well you got to get one of those and then that one got stolen so I got a new one and then so I see it for sure in my life and sometimes I act on it and buy more motorcycles than I need um, but also it just helps me so much and especially knowing this about myself and and then this part around faith is so true I see that of like when I started meditating 30 something years ago I was like, oh, I want to get enlightened. I like this, this little bit of relief that I'm getting from mindfulness. This, I want, I'm greedy. I want more. I want more relief. I'm going to go on longer retreats. I'm going to sit, do these 10 days and these 30 days and these 90 days. And I'm going to keep going. I'm all in for enlightenment. And so that greed personality, when you turn it towards something positive, towards recovery, towards service, towards awakening, it serves us so well. 
really commit if we're channeling it in the right direction. <laughs> if not, it can destroy our lives. But if we channel that, like I want towards awakening, towards, you know, it's great. Now, if you have an aversive personality and you channel that towards practice, and even though it's not fueled by like, I want, it's like the same thing. It's that I want liberation. I want, it's, I just don't want to suffer. And I'm so aversive to suffering. I want to destroy suffering. I hate that shit. So I'm going to meditate every day. I'm so tired of suffering. I'm going to be disciplined about my practice. I'm going to, you know, do all of the things. I'm going to walk this path out of aversion rather than out of greed. But a light, same result, right? You might be so motivated to end the cycle of rebirth, the cycle of suffering. You might be all in out of aversion. Now, if you're deluded, you might really like meditation. Like anytime somebody comes to me and they're kind of new to meditation, they're like, I love it. I'm like, what's wrong with you? What do you love? What do you love about sitting there with achy knees and a loud mind? What are you missing? probably deluded types. And they're just like, it's all like, wow, this is awesome. This is what I do all the time anyways, is I just think about myself. And now I get to just sit here and nobody's disturbing me. And I'm just thinking about myself and it's killer. Nobody's asking for attention or love this. Aversive types also really like meditation retreats because nobody talks to you the whole time. <laughs> Greedy types suffer on meditation. Everybody's ignoring me. I need some attention. Aversive types are like, this is fucking heaven. Nobody has made eye contact with me for a week. And I love it. I wish, could we just live in this? I'm going to become a monk. I hate it when people look at me. Now, not only diagnosing ourselves uh, helps us not take it so personal. Um, if you see this in your relationships, my, my first wife, my marriage that lasted for nine years, um, she was an aversive type and I was a greed type. And it created a lot of conflict before between us because literally I would say, I like it. She'd say, I hate it. <laughs> you know like we, you know like you know walking into the room with somebody and you're like i like it and she's like Ugh, disgusting <laughs> and then just learning to be like oh that's just her reaction because she's going to come around in like five minutes and be like pretty comfortable chairs though huh <laughs> for such a gross place <laughs> and just learning to not take it personal and just being like, oh, that's just how she's wired. It's just her personality. She's gonna lead with what she doesn't like. I'm gonna lead with, I, I'm gonna be like, it's amazing. And then I'm gonna be like, these chairs kind of suck, huh? <laughs> later, not at first. I'm first, I'm all positive, positive, and I'll start complaining later. 
but just knowing that about each other, like if you know this about yourself and then you start to see it in other people and learn to not take it so personally can alleviate so much suffering in our relationships and how we relate to each other. And not just in the intimate, you know, committed relationships, but with your friends, with your family. You know, interesting, like diagnose mom and dad. Hmm. You know, was mom an aversive, uh, uh, greed type? or a deluded type. Was or is dad an aversive, a greed type, right? You're kind of looking at your parents who we take so personal, even though they were probably like 25 and of course they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. But we think like, oh, you know, dad was so angry, like it's just an aversive type. Mom was shopping all the time, oh, greedy type. I find this teaching useful. I hope you find it useful. And the whole goal of uh, our Dharma practice of the Buddhist perspective is how can we end greed, hatred, and delusion? And by end it, when it comes to the internal reality that you're still gonna have your personality. Now this is true, but unfortunate. No matter how spiritual you get, you're still going to have your personality. You're still going to be you, right? No matter how much you learn to not take it personal and you're still going to be aversive or, you know, you're still going to like have a lot of that core personality. Now, what do you think the Buddha was, right? We think, oh, the Buddha was an enlightened being. He didn't have a personality. Think about the Four Noble Truths. There is suffering. There is a cause of suffering. And then it gets around to like, yeah, we can end it. Now, a greed type would have been like, we can end suffering. First Noble Truth, we can end suffering. <laughs> Second Noble Truth, this is why, how it's caused and this is how we do it. But I think, I mean, I have no fucking idea, but I think the Buddha was probably an aversive type. He walked, he's like, I don't want all this sh- uh, uh, money and abundance. And he walked away. He's like, I'm a, you know, this, this isn't happiness. He walked away from his family. I'm out of here. I'm seeking happiness. I'm tired of suffering. I'm going to end suffering. He didn't go to, you know, and, and even that saying, like, I only teach the truth of suffering <laughs> and the end of suffering. A greed type enlightened person would say, I teach freedom how to get free. I teach how to be happy. <laughs> and he's just like, nope, just get rid of the suffering. Happiness will be there. You'll be fine. Just get rid of the suffering. And so I, I could be wrong, but I'll make an argument that the Buddha was an aversive type. And even after enlightenment, his my father used to say, um, and he might have stolen this from Ram Das. I'm not sure who stole it from who. Um, but they, they both used to say, um, enlightenment does not perfect the personality, only the perspective. That when we get free, when we wake up, we, our perspective becomes, you know, we see perfectly, we see clearly. What is self? What is not self? 
what is the causes of suffering, what is the causes of happiness, your perspective, you, you know, it's the, the definition of being awake rather than asleep. You start to, to see, and, but it doesn't get rid of your personality. I'm gonna accept, like, yeah, this is just my personality, this is how I'm gonna roll through the world. It's not gonna change all that much. How I relate to my personality is gonna change a lot. How I suffer about my mind, my desires, my aversions, my, that's gonna change a lot over the years of practice. So what do you think? Questions, comments, clarifications, please. Okay, so um, I know you said that uh, people, all people avoid pain. Um, I was wondering, how do you explain people, I forgot the term, but the people who like to get whipped, like sexually, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, like people who seriously seem to get yeah. pleasure out of pain, chase pain, like how do you explain that in terms of personality? So, or, in terms of, or in terms of what? Those people, and do you, I mean, it seems to not feel like that some people do crave pain, you know? Well, I want to, um, let's, it's a big topic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just assume that um, people that we classify as sadists, okay. who we say like pain, they, like you said, like they get to, like to get whipped. Well, I get a friend who likes to get whipped. Yes. Right? So let's, <laughs> let's assume that, that they, experience whipping okay. as pleasure. They like it, that there's something in their, per so let's use a, a more kind of lay uh, example. Okay. Uh, what's your relationship, okay. you and use, everyone? We wait, can use to wait. not be sexual, like we could use jumping out of airplanes, right? Yeah, so like, let, me, let me, let me, so um, what's your experience with spicy food? Love it. So not just you, but everyone reflecting on like, how much you like spicy food? Now, spicy food, as we know, uh, is not a flavor. It is pain receptors, jalapenos, like all of that shit, that <laughs> spicy stuff. Okay. It's not a flavor. It's not on the flavor chart. It's on the pain receptors chart. So some people, you give a jalapeno, like give a jalapeno to a baby, they're going to be like, what the fuck did you just do to me? <laughs> I'll cut you. <laughs> right? Because it's pain. And now we develop a experience where it's like, oh, I like that kind of pain. That, I like jalapenos, I like ghost peppers, I like, you know, and there's some people here who are like, I don't like spicy food. Some people are like, nope, don't like it. I don't like pain in my mouth, no thank you. <laughs> and if you whip me, I'll cut you. <laughs> but other people are like, no, spank me, whip me, I like that, that brings me pleasure. Give me spicy food, it brings me pleasure. And that the, perception and so like just like you love spicy food well, your like friend on whatever yeah. level right you like some yeah. level some level of pain you experience as pleasure I your friend flavor, has what's that it's yeah, it's, it's actually flavor. not like know, scientifically it's not a yeah. flavor it is burning your tongue it hurts <laughs> you and you like it that's so weird i never thought about that way you said I never feel like I'm burning, but I guess it's, it's what's happening, right? It, it is what's happening. <laughs> is it, it's it is. For you, just because it's 
No, no, this is like what science says about, oh. about peppers. Oh, okay. Like okay. they're they're not a flavor, they're burning, right? The reason, you know, like there's a little bit of flavor in the pepper, but it's how, how hot it is, is how much it is hurting your taste buds. And we develop a taste of like, I like that. I like it when there's a, enough burn, but not too much. I like enough spice, but not too much. And um, so that, that is true, that is reality. And so when you think about your, your friends who like to get whipped or <laughs> just classify it like that, they like really spicy food. Oh, okay. They don't like, you know, just, you know, they, they experience pain as okay. pleasure in that realm, okay. in that consensual sort of realm. They are experiencing that as like, oh, I really like this intense sensation that many people would say that hurts. Okay. And they say, I fucking love it. Okay. Just like some of us feel about really spicy food. Okay. I fucking you. love it. And other people are like, get that shit away from me. Oh, thank you for so. That's the way I think about it anyways. Any questions at home? You can raise your hand on the Zoom down at the bottom. There's a, I think it's under the participants. Raise your hand. More questions here? Yes. When you started talking earlier about thoughts and how um, if you say eventually with training your mind, yeah, it's a thought, you know, I got a mind, it thinks, it just thought. But sometimes thoughts are accompanied by physical. So for instance, let's say, you have a sad thought mm -hmm. and you could say to yourself, yeah, I know where that's coming from and um, I know why and I may have had it before, but there's also maybe sorrow here. You know that it's like if you're angry, there's another physical and it's sometimes when you're sad, depending on the sorrow, you can feel it here. So it's not just say a thought bubble where you're reading, oh, I'm sad about that. You're also sometimes having a physical experience. Yeah, always, not just sometimes. Okay. The more embodied we become, the more we're like present in our bodies, the more we see like every thought has some level of, re not most, especially afflictive emotions but also positive emotions. There is a somatic experience. We feel them in our body. If you can feel your body, you know, like a lot of us are pretty disembodied and disengaged, but the more we practice mindfulness, we start with the breath and the body, the more you start to feel, oh, this thought, you know, the siren, you know, which might lead to a thought and you feel it. Oh, that was like a constriction or that was a you know or a pleasant thought arises and you feel this warmth in your body this opening um the mind and the body are not separate they are completely connected and that's part of what we're doing is uh what's happening in my mind how does it feel and that feeling tone oh sadness unpleasant grief heaviness in my heart unpleasant and you know sometimes that or or is it Maybe it's neutral. Maybe, maybe actually sometimes you have a really good cry and it's like, this is still so fucking good to release it. 
it started sort of unpleasant. I was sad. And then as the tears came, became pleasant, warm, opening, releasing. My belly softened, my chest opened as I wailed. If you don't resist it, you know, it also depends on with sadness, with a lot of the emotions, how much aversion do we bring to it? Like, I don't want to fucking feel sad. I'm trying to, I don't want to cry. Right there. <laughs> You're trying to push it down. And it's like, oh, then it's really. But if you just let it come through, let that wave of emotion come through. Sometimes it's quite pleasant. And that's a lot of what we're trying to identify, not only in the mind, but in the body. What's happening? How does it feel? What's the tone? And what's the wise response? Oh, it's calling for compassion. It's calling for tenderness. It's calling for a non-attached appreciation, tending to the sensation, the emotion, and the thought. Make sense? A couple questions from home. I think there was a hand over here. Let me grab somebody. There's a couple in the chat now. What'd you say, Jeff? There's a couple, there's a couple of questions in the chat first if you want to grab this. Oh. I actually don't have time for all these when they have, I'm just going to take Kay's question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to bring up the chicken. Um, so here, <laughs> here, you may, you may have answered it, but I don't know if I um, got a full understanding that the idea that the thought is sort of the seed that has a cycle into reality, right? So if I'm, if I'm trying to just identify my thoughts as just thoughts and not take them personally. What about that idea where <clears throat> a thought eventually becomes like an action in reality somehow, you know, and then I'm gonna manifest something, right? How do, how do those, connect that for me, please. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Buddha said that in the, um, uh, Abhidhamma, the Buddhist psychology, the, one of the first lines of the, of the stanza is uh, something like um, the mind uh, is the forerunner of all things. And he says, just as the cart uh, follows the horse, um, our actions follow our, our thoughts and our karmic, you know, what you're talking about, like what we do, our karma uh, follows what arises in our mind. And, and, you know, this is why training our mind and using discernment of like, is this a trustworthy thought? Is my mind just giving me bad advice again? And it's part of what we're doing. We can't just dismiss our thoughts all of the time. So you know, we have to make plans. We have to have memories. We have to intentionally, you know, use our words and our actions and our, so the question is, and this is the Eightfold Path. Am I understanding correctly? Do I have, is this thought um, based in a good intention, right? Is this a wise thought? Is this a kind thought? Is this a thought that's not based in harming or self-centered? You know, we can use the greed, hatred, and delusion that we're talking about tonight and be like, is this thought based in greed? Is this thought based in hatred? Is this thought based in some sort of self-centered delusion? And if it's not, and it's actually a kind, generous, loving, wise thought, then it should become speech and action and the karmic, you know, positivity that will come from those wise thoughts coming to fruition. But most of the time when we're just habitually reacting, 
through our personalities of greed or of hatred or of delusion, we're not using discernment and we're creating negative karma in our speech and our actions. Now, I don't know if you were going there, you said something about manifesting, the thought manifesting, positive thinking, manifesting something in the world. Um, was that part of the question? Yeah, you know how we're, um, the idea that, that you, you know, you want to think, you, you want to think something positive, you want to think kindness, whatever. And then, so then you, you want to say the words, you want to speak it, and then you want to, you know, you want to act out on it. Um, it works positive and negative. And it's, I guess it's, I, I, I think what you're, you're saying is that, you know, you do want to discern before you start letting it all out of your brain, right? So that you're doing the right thing and not the shitty thing. Yeah, and this is where, you know, the whole Eightfold Path addresses all of this, right? There's mindfulness, what's happening, what we've been talking about, and then there's uh, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. All of the guidance of the Eightfold Path is how do we train our mind, and then how do we manifest that in the world? And a lot of what the Buddha says is avoid, right? He's aver aversive type. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't kill. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Right? Don't don't be. Uh, don't get loaded because then you'll probably lie, cheat, and steal. Right? Like all of his um, teachings are coming from this place of, uh, in order to develop the wholesome, the skillful, the wise. There's all of this renunciation, and some of that renunciation is um, unpleasant. You know, the discipline of not just obeying your mind, not just doing whatever you want, not just going and putting yourself in debt to get a new RV because your friend has one, you know, some, some discipline, you know, some kind of like a little bit of renunciation is necessary. Um, and, I, you know, we don't get to just manifest sprinter vans. Um, <laughs> We, that's not that's not the way it works you know you got to kind of plan and 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 this buddhism is such a gradual process and and um you know we have to train our mind for years you know if you want to be kind do the loving kindness practice every year for the next five every day for the next five or ten years and see if it genuinely helps you become more kind you're creating neuro pathways of training your mind to be kind to yourself to each other to your enemies and you'll see that cumulatively over the decades of training your mind, your mind will become more kind. It won't change your personality much, but your mind will become more kind. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna think about it, but it is, thank you. Yeah. Okay, that's all the time we have for tonight. It is nine, a little bit after nine. Sorry that I didn't get to everybody's questions. Um, Rebecca, if you, I saw that you had a question, Lee, too. Uh, if you want to hang out after class, I'll talk with you a little bit, but let me end class. Um, class is done by donation. Please uh, give generously. It's part of our practice to practice generosity. There's a bowl there. Tara, thank you for hosting. She's up there. She'll take the donations in the, in the bowl. If you're online, um, there's a, a link in the chat, Jeff and Emily, thank you for hosting, co-hosting online and the service that you're doing. Um, you can make donations at againstthestream.com.
If you can and you feel moved to, please consider becoming a monthly supporter of the Meditation Center of saying I can give this month, this much every month. So that's a big way that we're able to pay the rent by having students who voluntarily say I want to help and I'm going to become a monthly supporter. So please consider doing that and, and or just making a donation for the classes that you come to. I have a day long on the 22nd. I think that's three weeks away. Please consider coming and spending the whole day training your mind and sitting and walking meditation. Um, you can register for that on the website. Although I've heard that the link to the registration is perhaps not working at the moment, but we'll get it fixed right away so that you can come if you'd like. You can do that both at home on Zoom or you can come in person and do it here in the room with me. think that's it for now. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions with all living beings everywhere. May each one of us do what needs to be done to come to a sense of ease, well-being, happiness, freedom, and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you for your practice, your generosity, and uh, see you next week where we will talk about heartfulness, the last chapter of the book, developing wisdom and compassion. See you then. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.